Good afternoon and welcome to the business community on Callan FM. With me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. And this week, we've decided to look at crowdfunding and we've chosen a separate platform each to look at. I'm looking at something called Cedars, S-W-E-D-R-S. And Heather, you're looking at? Patreon. Yeah, I mean, we sort of came up with this because... Well, first of all, it's something that we need to look at in terms of our podcast. So this Um, is our homework. And uh, yeah, so it was some interesting research that was that could be applied to something practical. So I thought that was quite good. Uh, But also, I think um, a, a lot of sound, sustainable businesses started off being crowdfunded. Yeah. And you know, we don't, we don't always recognize that, that when you start a business, sometimes you need a pot of money. It doesn't necessarily mean if you haven't got that pot of money, that it's not a viable idea. So, um, so yeah, it makes for interesting stuff. Patreon is much more around creatives. Um, people who, um, might make video, might video blog, might podcast artists, musicians, not, I mean, not exclusively, but, the idea is that if you're releasing, so use our podcast as an example. We host our podcast on SoundCloud and people can go and listen to it for free and that's absolutely fine. And we cover the cost of SoundCloud. Uh, whereas actually, if we wanted to monetize our podcast in some way, then we might encourage regular listeners to make a monthly donation of, you know, a fiver or something, um, which then just starts to cover the costs associated with hosting that podcast and or producing that podcast and then maybe you know for some of the fantastic podcasts um you know generate income we can but dream exactly exactly but um but that's by the way that's not a plea to people to um start putting their hands in their pocket but it was a genuine reason for us to be looking but cedars is something very different isn't it Yeah, so my route to Cedars was um, after our interview with Jonna last week, talking about plastic-free Wrexham, I was researching uh, plastic-free products for the home, and I came across a company called the Cheeky Panda for toilet rolls, and they provide plastic-free toilet rolls, tissues, uh, kitchen rolls. So you might think that toilet rolls is plastic, are plastic-free, but yeah. actually when you buy them from the shop, they're in single-use plastic. They're all wrapped in plastic. Right, yeah. yeah. I never considered that. So nope. I've, I've bought a box of toilet rolls from the Cheeky Panda. And as I was looking at their website, they um, advertised the fact that they were looking for investors on this thing called Cedars. So I followed the link and... I, I was really interested with what I saw on there. So just so you know, um, I have mentioned the Cheeky Panda. I have invested in the Cheeky Panda. So I, I'm not telling everybody to go and buy Cheeky Pandas toilet rolls because I've invested in them. So there is a, a bit of a conflict of interest. Yeah. But with Cedars, I, I noticed that they've got a number of different organizations from cheeky panda there's um, a healthy noodle company there's a company that makes dog food healthy dog food in shrewsbury there's a company that does carbon graphite products and things like so a real 
real wide range of products but it's a platform which you look at from two points of view one is an investor as i was so i i was considering investing in the cheeky panda and one as uh, an entrepreneur who's looking for crowdfunding so if i talk you quickly through the investor mm. platform it's a free service to use until you take your money out Okay, so the only fee, a lot of um, organizations where you can buy shares in, in organizations, there's a, a monthly ongoing fee, um, a brokerage fee. However, with Cedars, the only fee you pay is when you, you take the money out and it's a, a percentage of the profit you make when you take the money out. So it's, it's free to use. And as far as I can see, it's, it's quite ethical in the way that they make sure that you are able to appreciate the risks of investing in private companies that was really really clear so you either have to self-certify as a net high worth individual i didn't okay. pick that box okay <laughs> uh, or as a sophisticated investor again i didn't class myself as that i have invested in stocks and shares before as an investment club i'm an accountant but in no way am I an invest, uh, a sophisticated investor. Yeah. So what yeah. I had to do in order to be able to invest through this organization was to complete an investment authorization questionnaire with some tricky questions just to make sure that I understood the risks involved with investing, i.e. don't invest more than you can afford to lose, that you're not guaranteed a return, you could lose all of your money, that yeah. dividends are highly unlikely with these sorts of growth companies. So that was good. I, I passed that test. And then I went and was able to look at all the companies that were available. And it was really, really good. Every company that has to put a pitch on there has to do a, a video, a little a sales pitch. They do all of the details of what they're going to invest the money in, if they're going to make an offer alongside it. So some of them were offering discounts or, or goodie bags for people with um, certain levels of investment and they tell you how much of the company um, they're they're looking to fund. So you know, so they they want to raise five hundred thousand pounds. What percentage of the ownership of that business it represents? Now you can invest from really small amounts. So you know, I'm, I'll um, be upfront and honest here. I invested a hundred pounds. So I'm, okay. I'm I'm a very small investor, but I just wanted to try it out. Um, but you can invest in those small amounts because what you can do is invest um, on, in a nominee account. So Cedars becomes the main shareholder and you, you become um, a part of that. If you want to invest in the shares directly in your name, then you'd have to invest larger amounts. But this is a, so this enables you to invest in, in these companies quite simply and easily at quite a low level although mm -hmm. when you look and you can see who's invested you know people are investing seventy five thousand pounds here and there but a lot of the investors are, are at the same sort of level as me you know a hundred to five hundred pounds that that sort of figure which is achievable for a few people the things to say here is you do really have to be careful and and not see it as a sure win these businesses are looking for money to grow and to actually to um, do some sort of restructuring with their business or enter new markets. So it's all really uh, risky. But if you like the organization, if you like what their aims are, it's a really simple way for you to be able to support them.
so at the moment we've got the cheeky panda um luggage hero loop technology life ties mr lee's pure foods company which is the noodle company so there's a, a long list maybe of about 15 or so businesses that are currently trying to raise money on there so that's how you do it from an investor point of view tell us a bit about patreon okay so patreon um it is as I as I said, it's it's much more aimed at people who are creating creatives, um, and I mean they say that they are for creators. So they've got three different levels. So there's a sort of a startup, um, like a light membership, which would be what we would be looking at. Where you know if you know if you like this and you want to just chuck us a couple of pound a month, that would be lovely. Thank you very much. Um, but it's never going to be a business. Um, then the pro level is about having a membership business. So that is that is being much more aggressive about, say, podcasting or vlogging or um, uh, uh, people, I don't know, perhaps having excerpts of your book, stuff that you're writing, articles, etc. And then they've got a premium level, which is for established creators and creative businesses who want to um, who want to generate funds. But what I think is, is really interesting is that they um, they've got these sort of starter kits so they can help you to get your head around how this might actually work and what the benefits might be. If you're a not for profit organisation, if you want to run webinars and get, you know, and get funding from from those generate income from those. Um, and, and also they have a blog which. Uh, you know is quite extensive and quite interesting and has just ideas really because i think sometimes if you if you come across something like this it's not always that easy to see how it relates to what you're doing yeah. but there are some great great examples um so that that's really good but but the other thing that i wanted to look at is just in terms of a, uh, investment like you said with um cedars you, they're, they're keen to make sure that you understand the risks associated with investing. So I went to um, my money advice service, uh, money advice service to see what they had to say about crowdfunding. And um, they've got lots of information, as you would expect. But they talk about, you know, what it is, what the different types are. So there are some when you like you've done, you actually invest in a business and you receive a stake in return, which is normally shares, or you might loan money to an organization and then, you know, get, get a return on that. Um, you might just donate. You might just say, yeah, I like the idea of this, uh, this person and, you know, that is worth chucking some money their way. Or you can have reward based crowdfunding where you give money and it might be, um, that you you get you actually physically get given something in return uh so it's a really interesting article and certainly one worth looking at um, and how you would determine who you should and who you shouldn't crowdfund etc um and then obviously the risks yeah. associated with it the, so, the other interesting thing about cedars if you're a company um so i'm, I'm presumably there are lots of other platforms like this available so um please do have a look around i just like the look of the mission and the values of cedars so if you're looking to find an organization to support you to to get funding then then certainly do look at them the thing that i spotted was something called the cedars alumni club 
and and this was a community of businesses that have already been funded through cedars so that they, they, they can actually have a network who've already been there and done it i thought that was a really nice idea mm-hmm. um be, because raising the funds just part of it then they've actually those companies have got to go away and do something with those funds because now they've got shareholders who are expecting results so i think ongoing support is a really interesting element that this platform adds to it it's really good yeah i mean there's another site called crowdcube which is again it's a crowdfunding platform and and they were looking they mentioned some of the businesses that raised money with crowdcube and there are a few that we might might have heard of so there's monzo which is you know the sort of card where you load money onto it and then use it um like a debit card brew dog beer um uh, (laughs) sorry i know that you know that one yeah brew dog yeah um the mindful chef mr and mrs uh so you know these are businesses and we're not just talking small amounts of money here there's some there's some hefty investments being made through these portals uh, so it's not just a case of trying to get you know a small business off the ground this is this is serious business are you going to keep us updated of how your investments go tracy well i will so um at the moment i've got some investments in the dog food company the healthy noodle company and the plastic free toilet roll company so yeah i i only one of those is closed so far so they're they're just going through the due diligence um you know and checking that everything's safe before um cedars hand the money over to the company but yeah that it can form part of my regular updates heather (laughs) if i go really quiet on you it means that it's done really badly Okay, in the other news section this week, um, we've got a few stories for you. One that caught my eye that I can't ignore, even though it is coronavirus related, because uh, it's really got me thinking. I don't know about you, Tracy, but I've seen some stories of um, retail outlets, food outlets that are reopening and maintaining these social distancing levels. Um, for example, uh, I think B&Q, um, I think famously there was a photo at, locally i think there's a photo of b&q in chester with people you know queuing for miles to get in um even greg's the high street um you know pastry beefy bake vegan sausage roll (laughs) retailer they're opening some as are burger king and kfc because they are um i guess uh, there are a lot of businesses that are doing takeaway food pubs can do takeaway food um so i that they're thinking that they're missing out but i'm not quite sure um how how this all works and where where the lines are defined and where the boundaries get blurred um and i just think it's a really interesting it's a really interesting story because the government haven't been totally prescriptive about where the lines are drawn i don't think they are open to interpretation uh so I just wanted to flag it up. I think it's really interesting and I think it's a case of watch this space to see how it pans out. I just hope it doesn't result in the need for further stringent measures to come in, which then might start to impact on those businesses who are um, who have diversified. And we've talked about about that quite a lot recently, Um, because if new rules come in, it might just move the goalposts a little bit. I, I saw the article, uh, saw an article on Greg's this morning, and um, 
I, I think they were one of the organisations that closed down quite quickly. And, and I think they've taken a few weeks to assess the situation, which seems reasonable to me. You know, they, they, they shut up shop straight away, keep their staff safe, and presumably have spent the last few weeks thinking about how they can make changes and how, how they can actually uh, fit in with the social distancing guidelines and still keep the business going. So that I, I would assume that that's sort of uh, that's sort of what's been going on behind the scenes of, of those sorts of businesses now is that you know it's been it's been a few weeks now and th presumably the management teams in those businesses haven't just had a holiday for these weeks they have been trying to work on ways that um, actually keep the business going. Yeah, I, I, yes. And, and of course, I'm sure I'm not saying that they shouldn't be able to open. I just think it's really interesting that there's been this little flurry. And I'm, I just hope that it that it doesn't impact on other businesses who are operating or who are already operating in line with uh, yeah. guidance. If it just becomes a bit unwieldy and the government thinks, hang on a minute, we need to close this back down. So watch this space, I guess, is what I'm saying what have you got so uh dropping into my inbox this week has been notification from microsoft that office 365 has changed its name to microsoft 365 oh okay not terribly exciting news i think it happened officially on the 21st of april but some of the features of the package are changing a little bit uh, one that isn't coming to the UK just yet is uh, money in Excel, which I think might be quite useful, which allows you to connect your bank and your credit cards directly with Excel. So some some people may be using something like Mint, which enables them to yeah. pull together all their bank, uh, bank accounts. Well, um, Microsoft have apparently partnered with a company called Played. I think it's called Played, P-L-A-I-D. Um, and they're, they're creating this finance tool. It's being launched in the US first, but it, it'll get here eventually, I imagine. They've also introduced um, something called Microsoft Editor, which is apparently their answer to Grammarly. Do you remember a few months ago, Microsoft mm -hmm. put a big notice out to their staff to say, stop using Grammarly. Well, yeah. maybe this is the reason why. Maybe they Wait, oh, you did. You had a little suspicion at the time, didn't you? Yes, yeah, to what was going on with that. Well, mm. this sort of makes sense now, doesn't it? So it enables you to to do writing for the web, but edit it. Um, so it works in Word. It work, works in Outlook. It works um, in Chrome and Microsoft Edge. It just enables you to make your text, the content that's going on onto the web, a little bit more gra grammatically correct and better style than maybe it would be um, without it. Um, also, they're introducing Microsoft Teams to be used by um, family and friends. So, you know, we've talked about Teams yeah. as being Microsoft's answer to Slack. Well, they're, they're looking to expand it so that you can use Teams for your personal life as well, so that mm -hmm. you can plan trips and organize gatherings or chat and have video calls, have shared to-do lists and calendars with friends and family. So if you like Teams in your business, then I guess the thinking is you'll love it at home. 
or not i don't know or, yeah or not yeah Interesting. And the, the other feature that they're introducing along with this name change is something called microsoft family safety and it's an app that you can use on an iphone or an android and you can use it to share locations uh, you can use it to get notifications um, when they leave certain destinations so for example if you've got it on your kids phone you can have a notification when they leave school um, it there's something to where you can monitor driving as well um, and also you can monitor screen time so there are a number of different ways you can already do this I guess what Microsoft are looking to do is to get those functions all under the Microsoft banner mm. so at the moment this name change doesn't come with a change in price for the subscription package which is a good thing and users of Office 365 shouldn't notice any difference apart from everything will just be called microsoft 365 now instead one small other story that caught my eye and it is only a very small story but i thought it was really interesting it's in people management uh, magazine or it's also available on their website um, it was published uh, this week um, by a lady called siobhan palmer and um it, 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 the headline is putting staff representatives on boards does not reduce CEO pay. Now, in the past, there has been thinking that if you involve um, people across all levels of the organisation uh, to input into remuneration packages, um, it will it will um, reduce that 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 spike as you get higher up in the organisation. But according to this lady, there isn't actually any ev any evidence to suggest that this is the case. Does she say um, why she thinks that's the case? Um, she doesn't go into great details, but it seems to suggest that um, employees, she, she suggests that maybe employees don't really care, um, you know, but I, my gut feeling is, um, I wonder whether it, it doesn't really matter who you are, it'd be really hard to say, no, I don't think, you should be paid <laughs> yeah. at that level if you are at a lower level within the organization for once because you don't want to be seen as a troublemaker or so so either people aren't speaking up or the people that are being put on um uh, being put on the panel uh on the board uh are the people who are not going to say and challenge anyway good point just putting that out there any more from you yes yeah, so um last week we looked at the ons report on social well-being during the covid crisis so i've looked at the latest report uh, just to see what changes there were from the first one which was published last week um so the similar result for the people who were worried or somewhat worried that's four in five adults are worried very worried or somewhat worried about the the virus and the effect it's having on their life so that's similar to last week one change from the last report is um previously the most common issue um, that was affecting people's lives was the impact on people's well-being in this report the most common issue affecting people's lives is the inability to make plans yeah Fifty percent okay. of people are now finding that's a real struggle for them. Uh, I can second that one. Um, whoever bought a planner for 2020 has wasted their money. <laughs> mm. Um, mm. 
Also, um, the measures of community spirit have seen an increase this week. Three quarters of adults say they thought people are doing more to help others since the pandemic started, which is a positive. Yeah. Interestingly enough, over half of adults who are homeschooling their children are confident in their abilities to do so. Mm. I don't fall into that category at all. However, 50% of the people who, who are homeschooling their children say that they feel it's affecting the well-being of their children. Um, and then 85% of people have said they've only left their home for permitted reasons or um, for shopping medical reasons or for exercise in the past seven days. But there was another report that caught my eye as well, which was looking at the economic impact um, so of the six, just over 6,000 businesses that responded to the survey, 24% said they temporarily closed or paused trading. Only 0.3% had reported they permanently ceased trading and 75% of businesses that responded were continuing to trade. Of all of those businesses responding in the arts, entertainment and recreation sector, 82% of those were pausing, had paused trading. Wow. Of those businesses whose turnover was outside their normal range, accommodation and food services sector had the highest proportion of businesses affected, as we might expect. Mm. And of all the businesses responding, this surprised me, it's surprisingly high actually, 60% were confident that they had sufficient financial resources available to them to continue. And only 6% didn't feel confident that they had resources available to see them through this period. Gosh, that's... That does surprise yeah, that is, me. That, yes, that is much higher than I would have anticipated. Yeah. I wonder if that, I suppose, I wonder if it is if if it's 60 percent say that in light of the funding that is being made available yeah or whether it was pre-existing resources that they had well included in this report is an indication that 94 percent of the businesses surveyed are interested in at least one of the government schemes right, so i'm okay. guessing that they feel confident they've got the resources given that these schemes yeah. are in place yeah yeah, yeah. So we'll keep an eye on those reports. Um, interesting to see the changes week on week, I think. So I'll report back next week as well. And if you have been, um, if, you've, if you've applied for or involved in any of the things that we've talked about on the show, then please get in touch, leave us a message, uh, contact the show. We are at thebusiness.community. You're listening to The Business Community on Calon FM and this week we've decided to review the same book again. We haven't done it for many weeks and when we did it last week I rather enjoyed it so we suggested we look at the same book this week and the book Heather chose is called Deep Work by Cal Newport. Now I have to own up here um, although we're reviewing the same book we haven't actually read the exact same book. I've read, <laughs> I've read the summary, which was available for free on Kindle Unlimited and did make the commitment that if I really, really liked it, I would invest in the book. And at this stage, I really enjoyed the summary, but it didn't quite tip me over the edge to want to buy the book. 
So Heather, you actually have the hard copy book in front of you. Yeah, I came at it from a different angle. I looked at the summary and I thought that sounds like a really interesting book. I'll buy the book. Did you read the summary? I glanced through it and thought rather than invest time in reading the summary, I might as well invest time in reading the book. So the book that I have in my hand is um, paperback, taller, you know, like a large paperback. Uh, the, the premise of the book basically is that we the, t- the subtitle is rules for focused success in a distracted world and he t- works on the basis that we are distracted but there are so many things distracting us that it's really difficult to get into the groove and actually do focused good work and it's fine it's it, he talks about how you might do that, why you might do that, ways in which you might improve that. So that's essentially the premise of the book. But for me personally, as I flick through the book, and this is going to sound really banal, I suppose, there aren't any pictures, there aren't any graphics, there aren't any illustrations, it's just words. And I find that a bit of a turn off. I like a chart, I like a graph, I like a little illustration. There's not even a lot of bullet points, you know, it's just it's just lots of text and and I really struggle with that. So I notice um, from a distance I can see you over the camera here um, you have still got some post-it notes inserted in there so clearly some sections of it did take your fancy. I have gone through and highlighted a number of things that I found useful on, on the Kindle as well so well, what sort of things did you come across that, that you thought were useful? I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying I haven't read all of the book because it, it it it's like eating an elephant, and I and I think I need to do it a chunk at a time. That's just my personal view. But there was some talk um, around why deep work should be a priority, and he talks about why it's bad for business and good for you if you are if you are distracted all of the time. Um, and so he says, if you believe in the value of depth. This reality spells bad news for businesses in general, as it's leading them to miss out on potentially massive increases in their value production. But for you as an individual, good news lurks. The myopia of your peers and employers uncovers a great personal advantage. So if everybody else is distracted and you aren't, that's the opportunity for you. So I thought that was quite an interesting way of thinking about it. And and I guess that we've said a million times on this show, you know, it's the thing that sets you apart that that's where the the strength lies, where the power lies. Um, and then also he, that I was drawn to the title "Be Lazy," but this is something that I I talk to, when I'm coaching. I talk to people about quite a lot, particularly at the moment. Idleness is not just a vacation, an indulgence, or a vice. It is as indispensable to the brain as vitamin D is to the body. And deprived of it, we suffer a mental affliction as disfiguring as rickets. It is paradoxically necessary to getting any work done. And it is that switch off, that downtime. And at the moment, that is so, so important. That that just that just really resonated with the current situation. And I thought that yeah. that was worth sharing. What, yeah, what, I think uh, it might be in the in the current situation, we're having a lot of these meetings. Um, remotely and there is a temptation to just have back-to-back meetings I think you posted on LinkedIn earlier uh, about this um, 
scenario is that you wouldn't do this in face-to-face meetings you can't cope with back-to-back meetings without having some downtime in between them and I think people need to allow for downtime between remote meetings as well in just the same way you need to have time to process yeah if if a meeting finishes at one o'clock and your next meeting starts at one o'clock what time have you had to just make sense of what you've just talked about i was coaching somebody this morning and they've had back-to-back meetings all day and i said right okay how many cups of coffee have you had today just the one at the start of the day right okay have you had any water no have you been to the toilet no right okay have you had a biscuit no ridiculous and And it, and it is that yeah and it's not just the having time to do the actions from the meeting it literally is about processing isn't it about allowing space for your brain to make sense of it and to move to switch tasks now talks about this in the book it said multitasking doesn't equal productivity and i guess the same is can be said of back-to-back meetings because when you switch from task a to task b your attention stays attached to the first activity which means you can only half focus on the second activity. So if if you're multitasking and trying to switch between tasks too quickly, Mm -hmm. you don't take your whole brain with you. So I I really connected with that because that Mm -hmm. is so true. The other thing that I really connected with is the difference between deep work and being in the zone. Now, we all know that lovely feeling when you're in the zone and you're just gliding through it. You found the zone and you go and you you lose track of time, but you get some of the best work that you've ever done, done in that zone. But this this book points out that you get in the zone by chance, mostly. Deep work is intentional and designed, desired, and you have to define ways to get into deep work. So by defining your space, defining your boundaries and making the deep work that you're doing sustainable think of so many times that i've been in the zone and and i've got to admit yeah that's mostly happened by accident he talks about um doing other things that can help you to sort of get this space that you need and like taking a shower i find knitting is a good one for me because i'm still doing something but my mind can be thinking of something else because actually my, the knitting that I do is really simple. I don't follow any complicated patterns. Um, I might have mentioned before, I'm good with rectangles and squares. And I find that, that just doing that enables my mind to be going off and processing something. So I could set it a little task to solve a problem while I'm doing the knitting. I suppose that makes sense actually because if being in the zone didn't happen by accident we could just put ourselves there straight away couldn't we yeah we just go right okay I need to focus now and you need to create an environment he's saying you need to create an environment an opportunity for it to happen yeah he talks about what one particular phrase that I I I thought was a bit like the um, knitting is productive meditation cooking can okay. fall into that as well can't it so if you if you're involved in doing something else that takes some effort but it's not too much brain power that your brain can't go off and think about something that you're needing to resolve then then that's he calls that productive meditation the other thing i, I thought was really interesting he says that um, the problem is that our brains are wired to be easily distracted And that's because evolutionary speaking, these distractions could be risks or opportunities. 
as a result, we've, we would find it hard to deeply focus on one task because there's always a part of our brain that's important to our survival to, to be aware of potential uh, risks or opportunities that come along. So Predators. Yeah, there's a really a good reason why we get distracted. So we have to think, find ways to, to allow ourselves to do this deep work. The, the author himself, who I had never heard of, um, Cal Newport, he's got his own website, he's got a, he's got a blog, he's written several books. Um, and quite bizarrely, again, reading People Management magazine um, this week, they've got a, a, a section where people locked uh, a lockdown book club. So things that HR um, pe people professionals might want to be reading. And lo and behold, there appears a book by Cal Newport. And I thought, hang on, why do I know that name? And there sitting on my desk is the book with his name on it. And it's called Digital Minimalism. Um, and I think this, again, very, very apposite at the moment. Um, this book challenges us to question our incessant use of email, chat apps and social media, which often prevent us from undertaking deep work. Cue back to his, his other book. Um, Newport's suggested approach is not just to detox, but to carefully consider when and how we use them. One positive effect of the crisis, the coronavirus, coronavirus crisis, is the toxicity of social media seems to be diminishing as people find ways to be uni united rather than divided. And let's hope that that's a legacy that remains, the use of these things for good rather than for, um, you know, negative bitching and, you know, being generally horrible. <laughs> for this week's profile, I did a quick Google search. Um, we were looking at um, the book Deep Focus and I thought, right, I want to find somebody who's defined as a focused leader. So I Googled focused CEOs and, and I wasn't quite sure what was going to come up. But <laughs> top of the list was an article in the European Business Review called The Well-Focused Leader. Perfect. So I had a little scroll through there. So this is an article from 2014 by Daniel Goleman, and he talks about um, directing attention where it needs to go and says that it's a primal task of leadership. And a bit further down, he mentions Mark Benioff, who's the founder and CEO of Salesforce. So I suggested we look at Mark Benioff, the founder and CEO of Salesforce. Heather didn't say no. So here we are. We're now profiling Mark Benioff. That's essentially where it's come from. Fortunately, uh, we were able to find out a little bit more about Mark Benioff. And um, I found out that he was born in 1964. He's an American um, defined as an internet entrepreneur. And he's got a net worth of $6.9 billion at the start of this year. So I think he's well worthy of profiling, Heather. Have you come across Salesforce before and Mark Benioff before I mentioned him? Um, I've come across Salesforce before. I've never used it, but um, but it, it's a well-known sort of CRM sales management tool. Uh, and I think it's, you know, quite well regarded and, well, and clearly very very um used by a lot of organizations hence the uh, value of mr benioff uh, his net worth um to start with let's describe him he's um obviously born in 1964 he clearly does a lot of public speaking 
he's very opinionated he speaks up he's recently spoken up quite a lot about the coronavirus he's um, famously been urging CEOs to um, to take a 90-day no layoff pledge to help their employees through the crisis um, he, he's essentially saying you know just just weather the storm for 90 days uh, rather than shedding staff he's based in in the US so obviously you know the rescue packages are slightly different there than, than they are here but he's very active on social media on Twitter he seems to have a social conscience uh, which very often disappears as people become more and more wealthy so I hope that's not a sweeping generalization but it you know there are occasions when it I'm all right Jack seems to come to the fore and I think that he I think he sees his peer group and and challenges them. One of the things be- I'd read was um, that he he follows this um, approach called the stakeholder approach to leadership. And he, he thinks, uh, along with uh, a number of others, that leaders should serve not only their shareholders, but all of their stakeholders. So that includes customers, employees, partners, communities and the environment to make the world a better place. And I think his approach to business um, is, is perhaps well documented in the books that he's written. So just having a quick look at the bibliography um, for Mark Benioff, he's co-authored a book called Compassionate Capitalism, how corporations can make doing good an integral part of doing well. He's also co-authored a book called The Business of Changing the World, 20 Great Leaders on Strategic Corporate Philanthropy. Again, another co-author with Behind the Cloud, The Untold Story of Salesforce. And then his most recent one was published last year. It's called Trailblazer. Uh, The subtitle is The Power of Business as the Greatest Platform for Change. Now, I only found out about this within um, an hour or so of recording this show. However, I have downloaded a sample to my Kindle to have a look at because this looks really interesting. So I, I shall report back at some point when I've read more about it. But I think that gives a good idea of how he views himself as a business leader and where he sets himself up, as you say, in context, in the context of other CEOs of major corporations. Mm-hmm. Uh, the philanthropy bit that he refers to in one of the books is underlined. I think he's um, been recognized by Forbes as one of the top 50 givers in the uh, US. Um, he's on the, uh, the Chronicle of Philanthropy's Philanthropy 50 list in 2010, 2014 and 2015. Um, he founded the Salesforce.com Foundation charity in 2000 and created the 111 model of integrated corporate philanthropy. I haven't heard of this before, uh, but it's where companies contribute 1% of equity, 1% of employee hours, and 1% of product back to the community. Uh, I think I've probably read a similar article. It says that to date, more than 9,000 companies have adopted the 111 model through the pledge 1% movement and the money that um, that they they generate in within the, the charitable trust, um, they have focused, he and his wife uh, must be key stakeholders, they have um, focused on children's health, the environment, public education and homelessness. They sound like they're, they're kind of good eggs. 
Well, interestingly, um, if, if you're looking for association with good eggs, um, I think his Twitter profile might, might indicate where he sits in the good egg profile. Um, mm -hmm. So he's at Benioff on Twitter. He's got over a million followers, but he's followed by Greta Thunberg and Richard Walker. I think that he's obviously saying some good stuff on social media. Either that or seeing some really bad stuff and they're just following him for the shock value. But I think well, it's yeah. former, not the latter. <laughs> Haven't seen any evidence of that. No. One one snippet that I thought was really interesting, and you know, it's always fascinating, isn't it, to see where these people, these hugely successful people come from and you know where they started. And um he worked for Oracle for 13 years. Uh, he was the youngest vice president in the history of the company um when he when he was at oracle uh, but when he was 14 years of age he sold his first piece of software which was called how to juggle and he sold it for 75 dollars wow he founded his first company liberty software which created video games at the age of 15 so he's a he's a techie through and through isn't he yeah that's 75 dollars when he was 14 that would have been a small fortune i would have imagined yeah i mean i couldn't have had I couldn't have had $75. What would I have been? Yeah, 1981, $75. That would be a right result if I sold anything for $75 in those days. <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't turn away for $75 now. Thanks, Heather. <laughs> so, yeah, so somebody who I had never heard of uh, until you did that, that search. That's the beauty of Google, isn't it? That um, you can find pretty much anything <laughs> and then go it's down a rabbit hole of course. So that's about all we've got time for this week. Uh, do join us next week for the business community with more news, views and reviews from the world of business. You've been listening to the business community with me, Tracy Jones and me, Heather Noble. Join us again next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business.